0: When Christ shall come, with shout of acclamation, and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Amen. And then I shall bow in humble adoration, and there proclaim, My God, how great Thou art. Amen. Do you love Him this morning? Amen. Amen. Please turn your Bibles with me to Psalm 37 to Psalm 37 if i was pressed to tell you my favorite verse in the whole bible i'm about to show you now i've got so many favorites plural but there's one that the lord has blessed me to appreciate for since i was a teenager and i haven't always practiced it But I love this verse. I'd like to read to you verses 1 through 5 of Psalm 37. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. And may I explain a little bit of it to you today, and may the Holy Spirit convict you a whole lot to love Him more than when you entered this room, and to go forth from this place with hearts flaming in love and devotion and delight in Him and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That verse that I love so much is the fourth verse of this little section. It says, Delight thyself also in the Lord. Delight thyself also in the Lord. The word also is there because of verse 3. In verse 3 it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. We're to trust and obey. That's verse 3. Trust and obey. And so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. God will bless and protect those who trust and obey. But then we come to the fourth verse where there is something beyond faith where there's something beyond obedience. And it's the zeal of a heart that loves the Lord God and delights in him and finds his pleasure in him. And so it says delight thyself also in the Lord. Now there are believers who put their trust in the Lord in verse 3 and there are obedient saints who put their obedience in the Lord and do good. But then there are those like David who delighted in the Lord and who had a heart that loved celebrating the Lord and worshiping him and being excited about him more than other men. David was an exception that way, and he's given to us as an example of that delight that he had in the Lord. Delight thyself. You don't need anyone else to have this kind of a relationship with God. You wives do not need your husbands for this. You children do not need your parents for this, and you do not need your pastor for this. It says, delight thyself also in the Lord, and the delight I'm talking about is not in the Lord's blessings, it's not in the Lord's church, it's not in the Lord's word, it's in the Lord himself. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and the Lord there is our Jehovah God, I am that I am. And he has been manifested in flesh since this was written. And it is our Lord Jesus Christ whom we will look at more particularly this evening. But right now, I want you to remember those words right there. Delight thyself also in the Lord. This is instruction from heaven. This is David's order and command to those who really want to follow the Lord. This is the character of the truly righteous. Because Psalm 37 is a comparison of the righteous and the wicked throughout the Psalm. And a characteristic of the righteous is that they delight in the Lord. They get excited about the Lord. They are full of zeal toward the Lord. They are glad in the Lord. They rejoice in the Lord. They triumph in the Lord. They make their boast in the Lord. And we want to look at that. They have a heart that is bursting for the Lord. They have a heart that when he's, they're away from the Lord, it craves to be with the Lord. It thirsts and pants, right. as we read already this morning from Psalm 42. Brethren, let's go in our Bibles now to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and let's explore that statement of David a little more closely. Delight thyself also in the Lord. The also is there because of verse 3, where it told us to trust and obey. The Lord is the object of our delight and our pleasure. And we are to delight in him, not just to have faith in him, not just to obey him. This is another level of service. And David was another level of service. The Bible says repeatedly that God didn't have another king like David. David was a man after God's own heart. Do you know the Psalms that are filled with so much praise and glory to God were written by David? David was so full of praising the Lord, he invented the musical instruments by which the psalms were performed. He organized the choirs. He appointed the directors. He gave them their schedule. He wrote the words. He wrote the music. He gave them the instruments in order to praise the Lord because David had a heart full of praising the Lord. And brethren, this is a theme of the Bible. God has created us for the display of, of his glory he has created us for himself he's created us for his pleasure and he gets pleasure from us when we delight in him when we are excited about him when we are thankful for him right. when we praise him worship him adore him make our boast of him talk about him triumph in him when we rejoice in him when he is enough to overshadow all the negative circumstances in our life he takes great pleasure in that because he ought to be enough when this little life gets us down it's a shame that this little life can pull us down until our soul is disquieted within us that's why David said why art thou cast down O my soul why art thou disquieted within me hope thou in God he's talking to himself and he's talking to us this morning. Let us hope in God and have that joy back in our souls and our hearts. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. The first commandment, the great commandment. Amen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. There's that Lord that we're to delight in. Notice it's in all caps twice in that short little verse. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And you all know the verse, but do you live the verse? You can quote the verse, but do you practice the verse? It says that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and might. And when you love something, you delight in that thing. And so we want to practice this first commandment that God gave by loving and delighting in the Lord God Himself. This is the first commandment. Do you do it? This is simple this morning, but it's what the whole Bible teaches from beginning to end that we were created for His glory and the way we do it is by loving Him for who He is because He is infinite perfection from any angle that you want to view Him. He is infinitely perfect and glorious and worthy of our greatest delight and devotion. He's incredibly and infinitely perfect. And he wants us to love him with all of our heart and our mind and our might and our soul and our strength. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. But we have a problem. We live in a society of perilous times. We live in the last days. When Paul warned Timothy that men would lose sight of that first commandment, they would lose sight of delighting in the Lord. And they would let other things steal the delight of their souls. Second Timothy chapter 3. You know this passage. Beginning in verse 1, the apostle Paul warns Timothy of the perilous times that would come when Christians would be like this. Right. This is not a warning of the world. This is a warning of Christians in Second Timothy chapter 3 and he lists all the problems with a false, carnal, worldly, weak, compromising brand of Christianity. From this verse to the fourth verse of chapter 4 is one paragraph of thought and it's a warning about carnal Christianity and the danger of it. And we want to fight it with all of our might. We want to fight it in our church, we want to fight it in our souls. But he comes to the fourth verse as he is listing all of the characteristics. Of this age of carnal Christianity. And he's listing and he says, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Now we were given a commandment. We were created by an infinitely perfect creator and he has commanded us that we are to love him with all of our heart and soul and might. And yet we find a brand of Christianity that has fallen in love with pleasures rather than God. They are lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. They are not loving God with all of their heart, mind, and might and strength. They're loving pleasures more than they love God. And what a shame that is. That is perilous times. Amen. It doesn't matter what the government does. It doesn't matter if a Rothschild is the president of this country. It doesn't matter if President Bush every morning Asks Lucifer to give him his wisdom for this day's activities none of that matters the Bible never warns us about one bit of that because it doesn't matter right what so what what happens in Washington so what if there's an economic collapse so what if we have a depression so what if AIDS ravages the whole world so what those are not perilous times that would help Christianity Perilous times are when men love pleasure more than God. Right. Right. That's a peril, because it's tearing us away from our Creator and our Savior, the Lord God. And it gives us hopelessness, because we're putting our sight on the things of this life, and it never satisfies. And men are always looking for more, 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 and they never find it. Because the, the answer to the fulfillment of a human life is to delight thyself also in the Lord. Because that's what he made us for. And when you can perfect that, you'll be the happiest person and God will be happy with you. But this is a false brand of Christianity and we want to despise it and we want to hate it. And we have drunk at this well before. But we're not going back. I will poison that well with every ounce of strength that God gives me. We are not going back there. But let us go to the well of the Lord God and you can drink forever Amen. because you'll never exhaust that supply right. and it will fulfill your souls I want you to come to Revelation chapter 2 this is so simple some of you will say I could preach it well good since you could preach it then why don't you pray for this man that's preaching it Amen. that the Holy Spirit will use the words to bless our hearts right. because only he can change a heart Amen. there's no volume level that I have found yet There's no eloquence. I'll never find that. There's no logic that can be used in the Word of God to change the hearts of men. The Apostle Paul said, I gave up on all of that, and I figured that I might as well be ignorant in the pulpit, weak and trembling, with tears, not using any of man's wisdom, so that the power would be of God and not of men. And so we ask God to help us right now that he would arrest our hearts. In Revelation chapter two, we're given this warning as the Lord Jesus Christ himself addresses the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And he says to him in verse two, I know thy works. And he lists a number of things that are commendable about the church at Ephesus. And he lists some more things in verse three. And it's it's impressive to read what the Lord Jesus Christ has to say about this church that Paul labored at for so long in verses two and three of Revelation chapter two. But he comes to verse four And he says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. You do not love me like you once loved me. You do not love me like you used to love me. And the Lord Jesus Christ is saying that. You have left your first love when I converted you out of paganism in Ephesus, when you brought your books and the price of them was 50,000 pieces of silver, when you left Diana of the Ephesians, when you came and worshiped me, you loved me. I was at the center of your thoughts every, every waking minute. I was the center of your thoughts in the night. You couldn't hear enough preaching from my servant Paul. You loved me. You talked of me all the time among yourselves. You sang to me. You sang about me. You loved me. But now you've left that first love. That's what he's saying. That's the sense of Revelation 2.4. Right. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. And that is something we should do all the time, but we had better do it today. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. Do you remember times when you loved him the most? Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. Repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. (coughs) We like to think that God will leave his candlestick in our church as long as we don't have a statue of Mary here. We like to think that God will leave his candlestick in this church as long as we keep using the King James Bible. We think that God will leave his candlestick here as long as we practice baptism by immersion and noble things they are but this is not what he warned the church at Ephesus about nor is it what he's warning us about this morning what he's warning us about is our first love how much do you love the Lord Jesus Christ and so today i'm coming after you because i'm his ambassador and he's a king worthy of my love and of your love and i'm going to come after you that's what he held against that church and that's what he holds against you if you have let your love for him slip and if it has slipped then you ought to be pursuing it and seeking it with prayer and fasting and worship even this very day. In chapter 3 and verses 14 through 16, you also read where the Lord Jesus Christ says of the church at Laodicea that because they were lukewarm, he would spew them out of his mouth. Verse 15, I know thy works, Revelation 3, 15, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. This is is perilous times. This is a wicked man. This is sin. When you're lukewarm toward God. Because he is the Lord Jehovah. And he deserves absolutely every ounce of love that you can muster from your soul. He deserves every bit of your attention. Nothing in this world can even compare to him. It is all vanity and vexation of spirit. And when he sees you enamored or distracted or taken up with the things of this life, it is offensive to him. And he wants to spew you out of his mouth. Amen. Right. Because you're lukewarm. He wants us hot or cold. Walk out the door. And go worship your business. Walk out the door and go worship your family. What a joke, both of them. None of it matters. Right. He wants our whole heart and he wants us to love him and he wants us on fire. He wants us red hot for him. Talking of him, singing of him, delighting in him, rejoicing and worshiping him. Adoring him from our heart being willing to do anything now and cheerfully for him. Amen. So we have some warnings. Look at this New Testament. It says perilous times are coming when there would be a brand of Christianity which is infecting our whole country, where men would be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. He warns two churches that because you've lost your first love and because you're lukewarm, I'm about to come in judgment on your churches. That is serious business. It is my job as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ to point these things out to you and tell you that the judge is at the door. And he will be coming. And we will give an account of him of our lives. And we have been blessed with so much. And he has saved us more than once. And we should love him with all that we have. Come in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 6. And let's look at that great example, David. 2 Samuel chapter 6. That great example, David, found in 2 Samuel. Some of you may have read this last evening because I sent it to you yesterday afternoon as one of our preparatory chapters to read before this morning. But 2 Samuel chapter 6 is wonderful. This is David dancing with all his might before the ark of God. In this chapter, you get to look through a window and see the soul and character of David. It starts right out in the beginning, he calls 30,000 chosen men of Israel to help him move the Ark of the Covenant. Now I want you to think, when you read your Bibles, you had better think. The reading of mere words is no better than reading the Koran. You're to read and think about what you're reading. This is 2 Samuel chapter 6. When was the Ark of the Covenant taken out of the tabernacle and lost to the Philistines? Approximately what chapter? First Samuel chapters 4 and 5. In the days of Eli. Eli was the high priest. And this is David. Now wait a minute. We've got a 50 year time gap in there. Where was the Ark of the Covenant? It was down there in Kirjath-Jerim. For 50 years. Because Saul was king. Saul was king. He might have been 8 foot tall. He might have been seven six. The Bible tells us he was from the shoulder up taller than any man in Israel, but he was profane. Right. He had no love of the Lord like David. If he was a child of God and there is no evidence that he was a child of God, no evidence right. from beginning to end in his life, no evidence. You say, but he prophesied once, yes, and so did Balaam's ass. That doesn't prove a thing. Somebody will say, but God changed his heart. God just changed his heart to give him enough courage to get over his stage fright because he was such a wimp, he couldn't even stand before a crowd of people. Doesn't say anything about changing his heart to be a godly man. Don't you go into the Bible and think that some profane man like Saul is an automatic child of God because he was king of Israel. Don't go there. But what I want to point out about King Saul is this. He left the Ark of the Covenant down there in Kirjath-Jerim, his whole reign. Forty years. It didn't bother him where the Ark of the Covenant was. But I'll tell you, a little shepherd boy was raised to that throne, and God said, this man is a man after my own heart. Right. Do you know what he wanted to do? He wanted to move that Ark of the Covenant. Amen. So he gets 30,000 chosen men of Israel, and he goes to get the Ark of the Covenant. And look what Samuel says about it, or the, or the, the Holy scribe here that wrote these words for us in verse 2. It says, in the middle of verse 2, to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. Now, is that an impressive description of the name of the Lord? Amen. That's what the holy scribe put down for us to realize, the solemnity and the importance of this great event. Now, David makes a mistake in his zeal he puts that ark upon a new ox cart. Yep. Now, bless his heart, he put it on a new ox cart. But David, David, God had a proper due order That's for the right. moving of that ark of the covenant. And we do not play with the word of God. And even when your heart is so good toward the Lord, and even when your motives are very noble and holy and good, you were to do it God's way. Amen. And he didn't do it God's way. And so God made a breach on that parade and killed Uzzah. Now Uzzah was a good man too. He was a son of the priest. He reached back to steady that ark because it looked like it was going to fall off because the oxen shook it. And he reached back and God smote him dead. And that's because we better worship God exactly the way he told us to because even though Uzzah's heart was to keep that ark from falling on the ground, God smote him dead. All right. And so when we come into the worship of God, we better make sure we do it exactly as he describes motives do not cover error. unless you go to the Lord in advance and tell him that due to timing and circumstances, you cannot do it his way. And would the good Lord have mercy upon you for doing it as close as you possibly can. We got a couple of those examples in the Bible, but they were men that humbled themselves greatly before the Lord, before they reached forth and did something out of order, like Hezekiah observing the Passover but we don't ever presume on the Lord because we have good motives and don't let anybody else tell you that. And when they come foaming around about how they're observing this holiday that's coming up to the Lord, it doesn't have one thing to do. It doesn't matter where their heart is or what their heart is focusing on because God's already said, thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God. We're in 2 Samuel 6. And so God kills Uzzah when he put forth his hand to touch the ark and the anger of the Lord was kindled against him, and he died, and David was displeased because David didn't know what to do now in his worship of God. So they carried the Ark of the Covenant off the street and into a house that was right there, into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Now, who else came was a Gittite? Can you think of someone else in the Bible that was a Gittite? Goliath was a Gittite. So here's a Philistine. Philistines followed David. David was such a unique character that even when he dwelt among the Philistines and had killed their champion, they followed him, many followed him, the rest of his life. He had a private bodyguard called the Cherethites and the Pelethites that were made up of pure Philistines that were his most devoted soldiers. They were superior to anyone in Israel. And you can read about them throughout the life of David. When he he made his son Solomon, king in his place. And Adonijah was trying to steal the throne. The Cherethites and the Pelethites were assigned to Solomon. And when Adonijah got that word, Adonijah's party ended. These were men that followed David because they had never seen. Do you think there was anyone in Philistia like David? There wasn't anyone in Israel like David, let alone among the Philistines. But here it's in in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. Now, brethren, the Greeks have a foolish story about King Midas. Do you remember the the foolish story about King Midas that anything he touched turned to gold? Well, listen, anything Obed-Edom touched turned to gold. Obed-Edom began to be blessed very greatly and word came up the street to David, you know where you dropped the Ark of the Covenant off 90 days ago? The man is unbelievably prospering. David said, I got to get that ark. And so here's attempt number two, and it's all in 2 Samuel 6. I want you to love this man, David. He took 30,000 is not a small crowd on his first attempt to bring a box that's about this long. Children, the ark of the covenant is only about that long, about that high, about that deep, just a little box. But he had 30,000 chosen men of Israel to bring up the ark of the covenant. I want you to see what's in the man's heart. Do you love the worship of God enough to want something dramatic, something solemn, and something glorious like that? I hope that's in your heart. That you, the, the more glorious, the better. Amen. So he goes to get the ark. Now he's got the ark, and how is it moving this time? Is it on a new ox cart? Uh-uh. It's on the priest's shoulders on staves that have been put through the rings that are at the corner of that ark. In verse 13, this is the heart of David, and I want you to love this man. I want you to love the zeal of his heart because he's given to us as an example. Every six paces, he would tell the priest to halt, and he would sacrifice oxen and fatlings. It's described in verse 13. Six paces, and then to have to sacrifice animals would not get you very far very fast. Amen. But David didn't care because it was worth it, because he loved the Lord. And he loved this ark, which was the object of where the Lord dwelt between those cherubim. There was the mercy seat. And David loved that mercy seat. And David loved the God of that mercy seat. And so every six paces, halt. Oxen spraying blood everywhere and being sacrificed. Do you know what cost it would have cost David to move the ark of the covenant? It didn't bother him at all. Because David loved the Lord. And this chapter is given to you to see how much David loved the Lord. And the zeal that filled his heart. Verse 14, where's David? Is he sitting in some high throne being carried by some men behind the Ark of the Covenant? Not on your life. He's ripped off his royal robes, thrown his crown away. And he's out there in a linen ephod, a nice pair of pajamas. And he's out there in front of that Ark of the Covenant, leaping and dancing with all his might. And I want you to see into the soul of that man and see if you right. can find something there that you have something kin to in your own soul. Do you love that? Amen. Do you love that he's leaping? The Bible's going to tell us he was leaping and dancing with all his might. And I want to tell you something about David. He had a little bit of might. Right. He could wrestle lions and bears and he could take down Goliath. He was a mighty man of valor, and he's out there dancing with all his might. And brethren, it was no waltz. There's no leaping in a waltz. He wasn't waltzing in front of the ark. He was leaping and dancing with all his might because he loved the Lord and was moving his ark. And he had ripped off every pretense to his own importance and was giving all of the importance to God. He had stripped himself down to a servant and was leaping there before the Lord, acting as his wife would say in just a moment, Shamelessly, and he was shameless because he was before the Lord. And that wicked woman is characteristic of so many deadbeat Presbyterian type Christians that fill our society that don't know how to get excited about the worship of God. And brother, you're a Baptist. Verse 15: So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting. They weren't barely mumbling. You know it's pitiful to go into a church today and they sing and the organ and the piano are making all the noise because the people are barely singing these people were shouting and with the sound of the trumpet you know those of you that like the flute and the clarinet well that's nice that you like the flute and the clarinet but they never use the flute and the clarinet when they celebrate the worship of god david was no david was no lover of the flute and the clarinet he wanted a trumpet to be blasting because there's no noise like a trumpet it can cut through any amount of shouting And you can hear that tone ringing through loud and clear. And this was the worship of God. And no, I am not wasting too much time covering 2 Samuel 6 because God the Holy Spirit caused the holy penman to sit down one day and write this whole chapter for you to look into a man's heart and see his zeal for the Lord and for you to ask yourself in the year 2003, do I love the Lord like David loved the Lord? And as the ark of the Lord, verse 16, came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Let me tell you something about that wicked woman. She was raised by a hypocritical, profane father. And this is the result you get. I just spent three weeks preaching family planning how you are to plan to have a holy family. And one thing that is not allowed is hypocrisy nor profanity about the important things of God. And this wicked woman, all she had to go on was her father never acted like that. If he'd have been, when every time he was in a parade, he had his throne on and the fanciest robes that could be raised and his golden scepter or whatever he wore so that he would look like a king. And here was her husband, David, who had stripped it all off to be dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Right. All you young men, you better find a woman. Those of you that are married, it's too late. Those of you... You just need to help your wives, not think like Michael. Those of you that aren't married yet, you look for a woman that has within her the heart that loves the worship of God, just like David did. If you even smell the stench and the stink that she would ever despise you for worshiping the Lord the way that David did here, get away from her. Amen. She is a profane and a wicked woman. Amen. You want a woman that loves the Lord and can love him and rejoice with him like David did. Amen. And he brought in the Ark of the Covenant, in verse 17, and he put it in the midst of the tabernacle. And who made this tabernacle? David. David. You know, everybody thinks that Moses made the tabernacle and he did, but this wasn't Moses' tabernacle because that one had fallen into disuse. David made up one for it. Now that is a man who loves the Lord. And And he brings it in. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as he had made an end of offering, burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. He turned around and blessed the whole congregation of Israel for participating in him with that great act of worship. And then he sent every single one home with a cake of bread, a good piece of flesh, and a flagon of wine. The whole nation is going to celebrate, and I'm going to pay for it. Can you look into the man's heart? Can you see there his great love for the Lord? This whole nation is going to celebrate, and I will pay for it. I will bear the cost, because this is my God. This is my Lord. When you read Psalm 42... And it says that he is craving and thirsting after the living God. This is the man right here. He loved worshiping the Lord. He remembered a holy day like this. And he was grieved when he had to live among the Philistines and had lost these holy days. I love David. Oh, he's no comparison to my Lord Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you what, my Lord Jesus Christ wanted to be known as the son of David. Amen. So all the people departed to their house and David had to come home and meet that wicked wife of his and he came home and she made fun of him because of the way that he had danced out there in the street. She hadn't been impressed. He hadn't acted enough like a king to her. And see, there are a whole lot of people that are excited about their jobs, excited about their titles, excited about their houses, excited about their hobbies, excited about all the garbage of life. And then there are a few people who are excited about the Lord himself. And he came home to that wicked woman, and she made fun of him. And this is my David as well. And I hope this is your David as well. He turned to that wicked woman, and he said, I want to remind you of something, little girl. The Lord God couldn't stand your father, nor his sons, nor the whole family that you belong to. The Lord God couldn't stand your whole family, and so he threw them out, and he put me over them. I want you to remember that. Second thing, you think I was disgraced among the handmaidens of this nation and especially among your handmaidens? Well, I'm going to get me some honor this way. I'm never going to touch you again. All the handmaidens are going to be whispering throughout the nation that David never went to bed with you again, little girl. And so how does the chapter end up? Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child unto the day of her death. God took out a sword and cut off even the biological descent of a girl from King Saul and exalted David. And there's David. He didn't apologize for having acted like a fool out in front of the Lord. He defended himself and he said, I did it before the Lord. And before the Lord, there is no place to act like a king. That's 2 Samuel 6. It's that man that wrote these words delight thyself also in the Lord. That man wrote these words. Now, if you think I was too hard on Michael, then just go read about Michael and go fumble with your own soul because you've got a problem. Because when it comes to the worship of God, nothing else matters and some poor little girl's feelings certainly don't matter. And David let her have it because she was most irreverent and disrespectful not only to the Lord God, but to her husband, who also happened to be the king of Israel. Right. She was so guilty of so many offenses. He had nephews that would have taken her head off for talking to him that way. Guess what? When we end 2 Samuel chapter 6, where are we in the Bible? We're at 2 Samuel chapter 7, and David tightens up the knot of his intensity a little bit for the Lord his God. When you come into chapter 7, listen to these words. Verse 1, It came to pass when the king sat in his house and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies. That the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. David had built a tabernacle for the ark of the covenant. A tabernacle is a tent. It's a building only made from cloth. It's a tent. And he had put the Ark of the Covenant of his God in a tent because that's what God had specified so far to Moses several 500 years earlier when the, when the tabernacle had been constructed. But now David had built himself a secure house, made it a cedar. He had a wooden house, a stick house like we build, like we live in. And he was sitting in that more secure, more stable, more sure, solid house. And he said... Nathan, see now, look at this. I'm in a house like this, and the Lord is still living in a tent. That is not fair. That is not right. And Nathan said to him, Go, do whatever is in your heart. And then Nathan that night had a vision from the Lord. And the Lord said to Nathan, David's not going to build me a house. I'm going to build him a house. And so we have 2 Samuel chapter 7 that is one of the most tender chapters in the whole Bible. If you read 2 Samuel 7 slowly and think about the conversation that goes back and forth between God and David, it is one of the most tender chapters in the Bible. It is far more tender than anything that ever happened in the Song of Solomon. This is tenderness that exceeds that as light excels darkness. This is God and David exchanging back and forth with God coming to David and saying, as long as I've been the God of Israel. I've never mentioned to anyone that I wanted to have a house made of wood. I was content with one that was a tent. Where did you get such an idea that you wanted to build me a house like this? I never told Moses about it. In all the years that I've had a people called Israel, over 500, no one ever wanted to build me a house before. I'm going to build you a house because of what you want to do for me. And then David comes back and says, Oh Lord God, when has there ever been a Lord God like you have been to this nation of Israel? And if, if you can keep your word, please keep your word because you've been so good to me so far, but you've just described something that blows my mind. And that is that you're guaranteeing my house forever. Not only did you take me from being a shepherd to be the king over your people, Israel, But now you're promising me that my house is going to endure forever and my son will sit forever on your throne. And so the whole chapter is the exchange between God and David and David saying, Lord God, if you can do what you've said you'll do, please do it. Oh, Lord God, what you have said is incredible. Please do it and keep your word. And there is an exchange. And I want to tell you, if you don't get excited about 2 Samuel 7, that's okay that's okay cuz i can't help you but if you can get excited about this and if you want a chapter to read and see god smiling with his countenance upon a man and upon that man wanting to love the lord his god it's david and it's in second samuel 6 and 7 you read those two <clears throat> come to psalm 73 and i want you to see the man that david appointed as his song leader Psalm 73. Now, if you were the song leader for David, what kind of a spirit do you think you had to have? The superscript over this psalm tells us it's a psalm of Asaph. David's song leader. This is the chapter that I've shown you before. The most important verses in this chapter are not in the first 20. They're in verses 25 and 26. Look at what this man Asaph wrote in one of his psalms. Verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those are the words of a soul taught about delighting in the Lord. There is no one on earth, there is no one in heaven that could make me happy as the Lord makes me happy. Whom have I? What is there? There's nothing in heaven or in earth that can satisfy me like the Lord satisfies me. Sometimes my flesh and my heart faileth due to the circumstances of my life, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. All I want out of life is a personal relationship with God. That is what Asaph is saying. All I need, all I want, all that gets me by, is my relationship with God. Because even when I'm failing, and my heart is failing, the Lord is the strength of my heart, and he is my portion forever. If I was cut out of every other portion, if I did not get a portion of wealth, if I did not get a portion of health, if I did not get the portion of marriage, if I did not get any portion, but I had the Lord, I have it all. Amen. Because he is all my portion and all my desire in heaven or in earth. Right. Brethren, that is David's song leader. Yep. When I read Psalm 73, I know why David chose him. Because I know when David heard this psalm, performed the music, and it got to verses 25 and 26, he stood up and blessed the Lord. You say, how do you know that? Well, I don't really. But I think I do. And I think you do too. That when it got to verses 25 and 26, David rejoiced. Come back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Do you love the Lord this morning? Are you going to be able to squeeze five minutes out of the afternoon for him? i preached to you a number of months on Abraham. I want to remind you something about Abraham. God and Abraham had a pretty close relationship. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Abram left his home country of Ur of the Chaldeans. He traveled hundreds of miles to come into Canaan. There he never owned a piece of property. He was a nomad. He never dwelt in a city like he had lived for 75 years before he left Ur of the Chaldeans. He had a house. He had stable things in Ur. He left it all to come to the land of Canaan. He spends chapter 14 running after five kings who had defeated his Uncle city, his nephew's city, and had taken his nephew captive, and he delivered all those relatives of his out of the hands of those foreign kings. And so God comes to him in verse 1 of chapter 15, and he says to him, Abram, fear not. I am thy shield. I will always protect you, and I am thy exceeding great reward. Amen. You don't have any land. You don't have a son yet but you've got me. Anybody in here content with that? Amen. You may not have money. You may not even have health. You may not have anything, but I am thy exceeding great reward. The Lord said he didn't say, I am thy reward. And he didn't just say, I am thy great reward. He said, I am thy exceeding Great reward. Amen. He didn't say, "I am going to reward you with exceeding greatness." That wouldn't be enough. He said, "I am thy exceeding great reward. I am your shield, your defender, and I am your reward." Psalm 84:11 says, "The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The sun is what gives us prosperity and causes things to grow and, and prosper and be blessed, and He's also our shield." Same, same thoughts throughout the Bible. I am thy exceeding great reward. Asaph sang for David, he is my portion forever. God told Abram, I am thy exceeding great reward. Are you content with God? Right. When that relationship between you and the Lord is dulled, do you ask the questions that David asked? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And do you go solve it by hoping in God? once again. Look at Acts chapter 14 with me. Acts chapter 14. Oh for a people that want to worship the Lord God the way that Abram and David and Asaph and Paul did. they love the Lord. Acts 14:17, the Apostle Paul in stopping, The pagans that were trying to worship him and Barnabas said to them in verse 17 of Acts 14, nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Has God ever filled your heart with food and gladness? Have you ever had a feeling inside your heart of of great pleasure At something natural in this world God gave it and I want to tell you something about that feeling it is a witness from heaven that he is good it is a witness from heaven that idols cannot compete with when you step out in that sunshine and we've had all week long with the bluest sky that you can imagine and you feel that sunshine kissing your face and your heart is filled with gladness That gladness is a witness of the living God. Does that gladness in your heart flow back out of your heart to him in telling him how wonderful he is to you? How wonderful he is. And how wonderful he is to you. Those feelings are a witness of the Lord God. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness. God has shown in this world something that those stupid idols cannot do. And that is he can put a witness in our heart of goodness, and he's done it to all men. That is why the sun shines on the evil and the good, and the rain falls on the just and the unjust, because God is proving that he is good to the whole creation, and they all ignore him, except a very few. And I hope that those very few are not here. I have shown you the separating characteristics of Saul and David. I have shown you that David was an exceptional man, and David is the goal for our hearts to be a man after God's own heart in loving and delighting in the Lord God. And If you find your heart cold and dull this morning, it is something you better deal with because your worship is unacceptable. Lukewarm worship is unacceptable and brings the judgment of God. Losing the first love is not acceptable and brings the judgment of God. It is our duty, but it is a blessed privilege for us to love the Lord our God. If these are his duties, what a blessed God. Amen. His, his commandments are not grievous. No delight way. thyself in me. And then he presents himself as the most glorious being in the whole universe beyond our imagination. And he says, delight in me. Is that a grievous burden? No way. That's a blessed privilege. Amen. And may we take advantage of it and use it with all our might. What does it mean to delight in the Lord? It means to be so highly pleased that you take great pleasure in rejoicing in him. That's what it means to delight in the Lord. I'd like you to look at Isaiah 58, 14. A few quick references before I close this morning. Isaiah 58 and verse 14. I want you to see that this theme from Psalm 37, 4 is not a rare theme in the Bible. Not at all. And you know where we're going to find most of the references to it, don't you? Who's going to be the penman? It's going to be David in most cases. But I see in Isaiah 58 and verse 14, Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. That is based on people delighting in the Lord that would be part of his revival of them. Because true revival is to get a people to delight in the Lord once again. So the delight thyself also in the Lord from Psalm 37.4 has another witness here in Isaiah 58. Another way of delighting in the Lord is to boast in Him. Let's look at Psalm 34. Psalm 34. To boast in the Lord. We know, when we boast about something, we extol it. We use very lofty terms to describe it. We speak of something with great pride. We brag about it. We vaunt it. Now, we're not supposed to boast about ourselves. We're not supposed to boast about tomorrow. We're not supposed to boast about one another. But we are supposed to boast about the Lord. And that's how you can tell if a man delights in the Lord in his soul, he's going to be using his mouth to make his boast in the Lord. (laughs) Psalm 34 and verse 2. It says, My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. Another psalm of David. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. That is why we open this pulpit to any male member of this church to get up, especially in our evening services, and to make their boast in the Lord so that the humble can hear and be glad. Because it's infectious and contagious when we all make our boast in the Lord. And God deals with each of our souls a little bit differently so that no matter who gets up, if their heart is right with God, And they're truly making a boast in him it blesses all of us because it's god the holy spirit using the characteristics and experiences of each of us to make a boast in the lord and so it all comes out a little bit differently but that's why we do it we make our boast in the lord look at 44 and verse 8 about boasting in god I, i want you to ask yourself as we read these verses I'm not just appealing to these to fill up time. Ask yourself, is this true of me? Do I boast in the Lord? Look at 44.8. In God, we boast all the day long and praise thy name forever. Selah. We boast all the day long. We love to talk about the great things God has done, is doing, and will do. We make our boast of them all the day long. It's to glory in God. Look at Psalm 63 and verse 11. Psalm 63 and verse 11. When I talk about glorying in the Lord, do a couple of references come to mind? Does it say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord? Amen. Does it say in Jeremiah 9, Not to glory in riches, nor in wisdom, nor in strength, but in the fact that you know and understand me. Amen. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. To glory in something is to exalt with triumph to rejoice proudly, to boast. They're all related, these terms that I'm using right now, and the Bible is full of them. Psalm 63 and verse 11. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory, but the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. Everyone that sweareth by him, because swearing is an act of worship when it's done right. Right. Parents, you may need to explain that to your little children Swearing is when to end a conflict, you invoke the name of God to prove the validity and the integrity of your words. It is an act of worship. And so when men swear by God's name, in verse 11, they'll glory. Because it's a glorious thing to be invoking in the name of the Lord of hosts. That's why when we had our marriages, we have these words being uttered numerous times. As the Lord liveth, I will. As the Lord liveth. I will because that is swearing in the name of the Lord that is glorying in him look at 64 10 the righteous shall be glad in the Lord and shall trust in him and all the upright in heart shall glory why are there so many references about this theme look at the praise look at the rejoicing look at the trusting and it says all the upright in heart shall glory that means they'll exalt in triumph they're going to be glorying in the Lord are you one known for glorying in the lord does the lord know that you glory in him does your family know does the church know you need to be asking yourselves these questions it means to i could i could run you show you so many references about glorying in the lord but let's look at another word it means to rejoice in god look at psalm 9 psalm 9 and verse 2 It means to rejoice in god to rejoice in something is to be glad or greatly delighted, to exalt. You know, we're looking at synonyms where if you add them all together, it is a huge pile of verses where the Lord is telling us this is what pleases him. This is what men like David treat him like. This is a character of men like David, a man after God's own heart. This is the, we're looking at the word rejoice. We're told in the New Testament, the second verse that has only two words, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Rejoice evermore. That is a commandment. Why in the world are we not rejoicing evermore? What in this world can dull the glory of heaven to come? What in this world can dull the glory of the Lord himself? Rejoice evermore. Paul would say rejoice in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. Psalm 9 and verse 2. I will be glad and rejoice, where, in what, I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. And I do want to tell you something, a person that's glorying and rejoicing in the Lord likes to sing. That is why David wrote so many psalms and songs and invented musical instruments because he wanted to worship God with music. He was known for music from the very beginning when he was chosen to be a harp player for King Saul. They will sing, because look at the close connection right here, and it's a point for later, not for today. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. Look at 32.11. I am only giving you a sample. Psalm 32 and verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. If we're upright in heart, we have no guilt, we have no shame, we're full of love for the Lord. The Holy Spirit is not restrained, not quenched, not grieved. We ought to be full of joy because the fruit of the Spirit is love, the love of God. The fruit of the Spirit is joy, joy in the Lord. And it will be flowing through us if we're living without sin in our lives. And we're confessing that sin and we understand that we ought to be directing ourselves toward the worship of God. Psalm 32 and verse 11 told us that. That's rejoicing in the Lord. It says to be glad in the Lord. Look at 21 and verse 6. Psalm 21 and verse 6, to be glad in something is to be affected with pleasure by some cause. To be glad. And so we come to 21, 6. I've already read glad a number of times in some of those other verses. Well, let's look at another one. Psalm 21, verse 6, For thou hast made him most blessed forever, Thou hast made him exceeding glad with thy countenance. The countenance of God smiling upon David made him very glad. Right. It means to triumph in the Lord. Look at Psalm 47 and verse 1. To triumph. You know, the big house yesterday was rocking. Sherry and I used to live one mile from that big stadium, and on Saturday afternoons, we could hear that band using instruments of music that David invented, praising their religion. Stupid, overgrown, high body fat football players bumping each other in the head and chasing a stupid shaped ball. Now. I do enjoy it in its proper place, but it scares me every bit that I enjoy it because it's all vanity. And they pack their house of worship, and they have their song leaders on the side, and they have their band. Their song leaders are little whores that dress in little tiny skirts and jump up and down and act crazy to get all the religious zealots there all excited about their game. And 112,118 assembled yesterday with millions more watching around the country to watch that, and they triumphed. They rejoiced with exaltation because Michigan was winning. The place shook. Now, how often do we shake the house of God with our worship? How do you sing? Do you mumble? Or do you let it out? Listen, I know one thing. If I can't sing louder and get more excited about the things of God, I don't have a right to ever turn that, that stuff on. Right. Because there's no comparison. Amen. There's no comparison at all. The word triumph. Look at 47 1. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Look, look at our Savior has conquered death. He's able to mock death. You know, they do some trash talking and all they are is overgrown brutes trash talking to each other. And the only way they do it is because they have helmets on their head and protective gear over all their bodies. They wouldn't do it if their bodies were exposed, but all they're doing is yapping. Do you want to triumph over something? Our God mocked death. He said, oh, death. Do you remember that from a few weeks ago? Amen. Where is thy stain, O grave, where is thy victory? Because Jesus Christ, our Lord, has defeated death. He hung on the cross and came to a moment where he knew that he could release his soul and die. He laid down his life. It was not taken from him. He faced death, and all they face is third down. It is ridiculous, the comparison, but they shout and rejoice We ought to shout and rejoice because of what our Savior has done for us. And look at what the verse says, O clap your hands, all ye people, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. We ought to have a voice of triumph for the great victory that's been won because Jesus, my Savior, came and rescued me from the sins I got myself in. And he's going to deliver me to his own heavenly Father in his perfect righteousness. We ought to be the ones triumphing. Look at Psalm 92 and verse 4. If you think that's the only time it occurs in the book of Psalms, you're wrong. You don't know David yet. Psalm 92 and verse 4. Just going through these verses ought to trigger your soul to want to be more like David. Go back and start with 2 Samuel 6 and 7. Work yourself up and then come into the Psalms and see why he wrote the way he did. Psalm 92 and verse 4. For thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy work. I will triumph in the works of thy hands. This is David. This is the heart we want. We want to delight ourselves in the Lord. This is the difference between the average worshiper of God and the exceptional worshiper of God. And I, as your pastor, will not let you be an average worshiper of God. So help me, God. We want to be exceptional, and we want to worship Him with the sound of triumph. Look at Psalm 111. Let's move to another word. How about pleasure? Pleasure is a source or object of delight. In Psalm 111, do you have pleasure in the Lord? Is he your pleasure? Do you love reading about him? Do you get moved by 2 Samuel 6 and 7? Do you get moved by these verses? Do you get moved thinking about how he destroyed death? Do you get moved about the way he created? Do you get moved about how he created light? And then thought about creating the sun three days later? Well, where did he get the light from for three days? Because that's our God. Do you rejoice in all those things? Psalm 111 and verse 2, The works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. Is that your pleasure? The great works of God. Because God is pleasurable. He is pleasure itself, if you ever know him. And if you delight in him, he's full of pleasure, and he's never disappointing. Never. Never. You know, all the pleasure of this world is so disappointing and so vain, but He is never that way. In Psalm 104, is God sweet to you? Now, I don't mean His Word. You know, the Bible does say that the Word of God is sweet like honeycomb, but look at Psalm 104. Psalm 104 in verse 34, my meditation of Him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. My meditation of him shall be sweet. If that isn't true of your life, it's why I'm preaching this morning. We have got to stop, examine ourselves, make time, get other things out of our lives to have more time to do this, to meditate upon him. If we meditate upon him, it's not very sweet, then we need to confess our sins and we need to pray for him to be sweeter to our taste Because there's something between us and him. His his arm is not shortened. His ear is not stopped up. But we shorten his arm and we stop up his ear by our sins. So we need to confess our sins. And then we can come to him and pray for him to restore the sweetness that we once had. Hope thou in God, for he shall yet be the strength of your soul and the light of your countenance. Delight thyself also in the Lord. He offered the second half of the verse, but I don't even care about the second half of the verse. The desires of my heart, unless those desires would be to delight in him more. Any earthly desires, so what? Give me more of himself. Now that's a desire that I would like to see fulfilled. Delight thyself also in the Lord. Let us examine ourselves and seek him with our whole heart. If we are lukewarm, we need to repent. If we have lost our first love, we need to remember from whence we have fallen, we need to repent, and we need to do the first works. That's why you have to get some things out of your life to go read more, to go read more slowly, to go read more meditatively, and to delight, boast, triumph, be glad, rejoice, and taste the sweetness of the Lord. Be still, and know that I am God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Do not be an average worshiper. And don't you dare be a profane worshiper. Let's be exceptional worshipers like David was. May the Lord Jesus Christ, by his grace, have mercy upon us. For no one ever delighted in the Lord like the Lord Jesus Christ did. May he bless the preaching of his word.